Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Hey, here's something that we all know about. You know that there is a difference, or there's a gap between me and the me that you want people to see. Ever notice that gap? I know that you know that gap, there's the gap, and I'm not talking about me, me, you know, Sam. <laughs> I'm talking about you, you know that you have a gap, where you think about it, there's me, and then there's the me that I want people to see, and you know that there is a gap there, because you've all experienced the awkwardness of that gap. You've, you've experienced the awkwardness of that gap when you've had the major Barney in the car with your spouse or your partner, and then you've got to turn up to a friend's place for dinner. And you've got about 30 seconds to get to the front door to maintain your composure and make it look like you're the happiest couple in the world. You've experienced the awkwardness of that gap. You've experienced the awkwardness of that gap when you're totally unprepared or you feel that you're unskilled in what you're doing professionally and in front of everyone at the boardroom table and the presentation, your boss asks you a question it's that moment where you've got to fumble the answer. You know that there is a gap in that moment when you are out on a first date and you're totally aware of all of your own sense of inadequacies and awkwardness and on the other side of that gap is the audition for that person hoping that what you're presenting is going to lead to another one. We felt that, right? There's a a gap between me and the me that I want people to see and we become even more aware of that gap when things leak and we leak we leak because the people that we uh, the me that we want people to see uh, sometimes things get through that Uh, the blow up the emotion uh, the moment when the truth comes out the time when people see you for who you are that moment when the family's devastated by that decision we become painfully aware that the me that we want people to see is fragile and of course what do we do in that moment we say you talk to yourself You say, Sam, remind me to never do that again. (laughs) You felt this? There's me, and then there's the me I want people to see, and then there's also the me that I want to be. Best version of myself. And so, this series is going to be about how you deal with the gap. How do you safeguard your soul and deal with the gap between me and the me that... I want people to see. Now, um, the, way that, the way that you do this and the easy way to do this is uh, an IT term. There's an IT term. If anyone's in IT, you're going to get this, but it's called WYSIWYG. You heard this? Yeah, there's Eric nodding. He knows where it's going. Gold star. He's already heard the message. You know, WYSIWYG, which means what you see is... Oh, you're all in IT. Well, there we go. What you see is what you get in IT. It's just... Don't you love people that are wissy-wig sorts of people? You know, they're true, they're real, they're authentic. What you see is what you get. Who they are in one place is the same in another place, is the same in another place. And don't you find that it's just refreshing? so, So really, there's a choice for us when we become aware of the gap between me and the the me that I want people to see, is we make one of two choices. We can either choose to manage the gap, or we can choose to close the gap. And uh, one of the big problems is that most of us choose to manage the gap. And the reason that we manage the gap is because it's, 
it's a lot easier to pay attention to the me that we want people to see, right? Because what gets your attention gets you. What gets your attention, what people see, is what gets you. The outer life gets the attention. You know this because this morning you woke up and you looked into a mirror and you looked at your hair and thought, I need to do something about that before I go to church, right? You paid attention to it. It's the moment when you're in the bathroom and you realize you've got lettuce stuck between your teeth, There's a mirror for telling you that you've got letters stuck between your teeth. Where's the mirror for your soul? That's what we're going to talk about today. There should be no gaps. And part of the challenge is when you pay so much attention to the outside person and you manage the gap rather than close it, then what ends up happening is that you don't tend to your soul. And the the problem is when you don't tend to your soul, an unhealthy soul builds a capacity for duplicity and duplicity is I'm one person here and I'm a different person there I'm someone here and I'm different there duplicity is the sort of person that says I've got gaps in my life the opposite to duplicity of course is integrity and integrity comes from that uh, the Greek word for integrity comes uh, we use it in maths all the time integer you know any any maths teachers here what's what's an integer it's a whole number it's not a fraction, right? So to have integrity is to be whole, to be duplicitous is to be fractured, to be fractional, to have compartments in your, yourself, different parts of yourself. So here's the pop quiz. Is there a gap, for example, between, say, who you are at work and who you are at church? Is there a gap between what you say and what you do? Is there a gap between what you say you believe and how you actually act on what you believe? Are you a keyboard warrior (laughs) behind the scenes and a coward in real life? Are you different with your co-workers than you are with your boss? Is there a difference between, is there a gap between your home life and your public life? We want to close the gap because unattended souls manage the gap, healthy souls close the gap. And perhaps, I've I've always wondered this, you ever thought, why, why are we different like that? Have you wondered that? Why is it that we're different in these different spaces? And I think it's because in that moment, there is no authority in our lives other than the moment. The moment is the authority in our life. There's no deeper place from which we come in, the mo- in that time. And so we get shifted around into different spaces. Uh, there is an authority of the moment over our lives that, that shifts who we are. You, and you've seen this, right? You've seen this when you've got friends who you're off at a party or a soiree, or, which is just kind of an older person's way of saying party. Yeah, isn't it? I always think soirees, you just, you know, when people swirl drinks, that's, that's the difference between a soiree and a party, right? But, you know, you're at a party with someone and, and you're there with friends and all your friends are um, saying all these horrible things about this other person who then bounds across the room to you and you watch this friend turn to the person and say, oh, hi, how are you? And and then in your head, you're just thinking, you've just been slagging them off for the last five minutes. And then, oh, doesn't your dress look gorgeous? Oh, you know, I love your boots, dude. I was just doing that to be gender equal, by the way. I I wasn't making any suggestion that any gender does this more than the other, right? But we've sensed this, right? And and if we're real with ourselves, we've we've done that of people. Uh, We've done that of co-workers. We've done that of 
all sorts of different people in our lives, there's a gap between me and the me that I want people to see. And I think in that moment, the reason we're shifted like that is because the moment is the authority over our life. It's the most important thing to us in that. The impression that we create with people in that moment, the approval that we might get in that moment, uh, the praise we might get in that moment becomes the authority over our life. And so as a result, we become what I call social astronauts. We're social astronauts. Have you ever seen an astronaut trying to turn a screw into a piece of wood into space when there's no gravity? The screw doesn't turn, the astronaut turns. Have you, you noticed that? <laughs> and so as a, as a result, when the moment is the authority over our life, there is, there is no fundamental sense of gravity, there's no fundamental sorts of foundation, there's no fundamental framework that we are locked into, tethered into, and so whenever we move into the moment, then we just begin <laughs> to spin. <laughs> You've seen this? And so here's the question for us then, is there something at the bottom of your soul that you are tethered to that can make you the same person in every single situation? Because if there is, that's the primary way that you can close the gap, where there's no difference between me and the me that I want people to see. And uh, to set this up, Paul, in the book of Romans, we're going to go back to Romans 12 this morning, which was what we were talking on last week in our final chapter of forgiveness. And it's quite ironic that, that when you look at that chapter, what we're about to talk about this morning actually is the genesis of forgiveness and all of that powerful stuff that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. But it's in two verses this morning, which for some of you are like, thank goodness, man, that forgiveness series went on for ages. He's just got two verses to go through this morning. But they're two verses that, uh, if you take this to heart, um, can make you the sort of person that closes the gap. And they're the sort of verses that absolutely fly in the face of our culture. They're the sort of verses that make absolutely no sense, even to Christians. And so I'm going to tell them to you anyway. The habit, the habit that we see here of a range of habits to safeguard your soul, Paul says, is to surrender your will. To surrender your will. And he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... In view of God's mercy, what, what he's saying there first and foremost is that Christians live as sacrifices. They, they surrender their will, not because they have to, but because they want to. In light of what God has done for you, in light of all of the grace that he's poured upon you, live as someone who has surrendered their will. And then he goes on to say, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Another word, if we go to the next slide there, Kara. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice literally means a living killing. That's how it's written in the Greek underneath that. Isn't that a fa fascinating way to put this phrase? Live as if you are a living killing. In other words, that there is a, a constant death to your agenda and your way of things on a daily basis. Live as a living killing. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. And true worship, when Paul says that there, uh, is literally translated reasonable service. This is your reasonable service. I saw this principle when I took uh, my kids to time zone. We went to time zone and these days, back in my day in the 80s, it was tilt and you had to pay like 10 bucks and you'd go to tilt and you'd get like, you know, four games worth and that's it. These days at time zone, the kids, you buy them the pass, they get a whole hour of unlimited games. It's awesome. It's unreal. 
Anyway, um, we bought our kids these passes, and it's great for kind of date day too, by the way, parents, because you just sit in time zone, give them the pass, away you go, kids. And, and so well, the kids are off playing all these games, and then I thought, I'm an 80s kid, I love arcades, I want to play. I go to the kids, hey, you know, you've been playing for the last 45 minutes straight of these unlimited games, can I have a go? And they said, no, get your own pass. <sighs> I said... <laughs> No, I'd like to have a go. Thank you very much. This is your true worship. <laughs> and it's, just, it's the same thing. It's your reasonable service. In other words, who gave you the pass? Give me a game. And that's exactly what God says to us. Like if you kind of think it's countercultural or it's a bit much for him to ask to live as a living killing, God says it's totally reasonable. Who gave you the brain that you've got? Who placed you in this amazing place called Sydney, Australia? Who poured you, grace into your life so that you were, you were born into a place that you didn't even choose to, to, to be in? Uh, who, who gave you the opportunities that you've had in front of you? Who's done all This is just reasonable. It's just reasonable. not authoritarian it's reasonable and then he says do not conform to the pattern of this world look at this we're only in verse two now do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind what he's saying under that is don't allow your circumstances to turn you around don't be a social astronaut do not have the moment as the reference point in your life be grounded by a pattern of living that is subterranean, that is beneath you, that people cannot see. And I love how the message paraphrase states it. It says, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops a well-formed maturity in you. And so Paul is saying, as crazy as it sounds, this is the best way to live, as living killing, as a living killing. Surrender to your will to God on a daily basis. To which we would say, why in the world would we do that? <laughs> why would we do it? And what we've heard from Paul is, it's reasonable. It's the best way to live. But can I suggest to some of you this morning, that if you think living as a living sacrifice is a bit much, can I suggest to you that you, some of you are already living as a living sacrifice. You're just not sacrificing yourself to God. You're sacrificing yourself to the approval of other people around you. You're sacrificing yourself to your career. You're sac sacrificing yourself to even the voice inside you that's not telling you that you are good enough or worthy enough. Like you're already living as a living sacrifice. And so the choice here is not that you have to do anything more with your life, but to redirect the foundations for your life and to say, this is the better way to live. And the way that Paul demonstrates it actually is in Romans 6, if you go back a little bit earlier when you look at what he says there, at the deepest level, Paul says this, but in a more negative way. And he says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness, but rather offer yourselves to God. See how it's the same thing? As those who have been brought from death to life, different way of living, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument for righteousness. Another way of saying that you would be a that you would be a living sacrifice, a living killing. You're living for Him. And here's the good news, some of the best news in all of the New Testament. Verse 14, For sin shall no longer be your master. That the moment will no longer be the master. That the circumstance will no longer be the master. That the person's approval will no longer be the master. But you have a foundation that's the master. Is this making sense? 
And let me get a little bit more practical for you in all of this, because it can sound very Christianese. Um, you know, what we see here is that what he's really talking about, when he says that sin shall no longer be your master, you constantly hear me say, and please hear me with this, sin is not good deeds versus bad deeds. Sin is not a list that we pastors keep tucked away in our office for when you call on the phone to ask me whether I'm doing the wrong thing or not, right? That sin, you know, anger, rage, lust, all these sorts of things that we see or think is sin in the Bible, that is the fruit of the tree, but what I want to talk to you about this morning is the root system. That's what Paul's saying. There's a root system to all of this. And the way that I describe sin is not good deeds versus bad deeds, but self-interest nurtured. Because at the root system of all of those things that we think us, all the bad deeds, there are bad deeds, of course. But the very definition of the bad deed, I'm sure if you traced a bad deed down to its root system, is self-interest nurtured. Wouldn't you agree? That sin at the fundamental level is always, in the moment, I just want it my way. <laughs> we know this as Christians because we come up against these moments when we fall into temptation. At the end of the day, I just want it my way. And here's how sin, self-interest, masters us. Because if you nurture self-interest, then what happens is you grow a little thing in your soul. And the little thing that you grow into your soul is called selfishness. That's, that's the beginning of it, building blocks. And then, and then self-interest, if you just harbour that a little bit more, then, then, then it's, it's selfishness. And then if you harbour that selfishness, selfishness at the moment will always tell you to do what is best for you. And when you do that long enough, then you create a wonderful dynamic in yourself called self-centeredness. And self-centeredness is the dynamic where you basically say, I don't want any restriction on my life. I don't want anyone to put any restrictions on me. I'm not going to do, do what you tell me to do, and I'm not going to do what you tell me to do, and I'm not doing what you tell me to do, and I'm not going to do what God's telling me to do. And, and because if I do what anyone tells me what to do, then I will never be free. Isn't that how the world thinks around us? Self-centeredness says, if I, if I don't want to do what's best for me, I won't be free. And can I suggest to you that there's... Um, there's a scarier version of freedom in self-centeredness. So there is a freedom of in self-centeredness. Can you believe this? But it's scary and it's not the good type. You know what self-centeredness does? It liberates you from you. Self-centeredness creates the gap. Self-centeredness now creates two people. Self-centeredness creates the sort of life that's absolutely obsessed with the me that I want people to see. <laughs> By the way, if you know your Bibles, like, isn't this what happens in the Garden of Eden? Is that we, we were designed, whether you want to take that literally this morning or not, or see it as allegory, the, the, the principle is this. In the Garden of Eden, God designed us, you know what He designed us for? Wissy-wig. No leaves. No clothes. Nakedness. What you see is what you get. And it wasn't just physical nakedness. It was a relational transparency that people had with each other and with God. And what you see is what you get. There never was a gap to begin with. And when they ate of the apple, went to the tree, leaves go over, <laughs> there was the beginning of the first gap that humanity ever had in our lives. And we've been living in that type of life ever since. And we've proven how that gap exists 
And so God designed us for wissy-wig. And so sin liberates you from you. Sin takes you, self-interest takes you into a place where ultimately you are free from yourself. So it begs the question then, all sounds wonderfully positive, doesn't it, this morning? (laughs) Um, How do we we come back to a place where we live for something that is beyond ourselves? How How do we get out of this? How do we deal with this because you know what there is there is really something fascinating happening in all of this and I, and this is not just a christian thing and by the way christians this is not a non-christian thing <laughs> you know it's, this is not a matter of oh these worldly people deal with that we're christians no christians do this all the time and as christians we have to be really clear that there is a big difference in being saved from the consequences of your sin And thinking just because you've been saved from the consequences of your sin doesn't mean that you have been saved from the power of your self-interest, right? We constantly have to wrestle through this on a daily basis and that's why Paul said be a living killing. And so here's how we we do that. A couple of two quick questions for you. The first one is, are there a set of non-negotiables at the bottom of your life? Are there a set of non-negotiables at the bottom of your life? Are there a set of principles that no matter where you are, they do not change? Are there a set of principles that say, this is how I will speak, this is how I will act regardless of where I, where I am? Are there non-negotiables at the bottom of your life? And of course, the way that we develop that as Christians is we go to group, we learn the Word of God, we learn how God wants us to live, and we begin to live by those sets of non-negotiables. Um, But at the same time too, and the second one this morning is, I want to say that being a living killing doesn't need to be dirgy. Like I think there's a whole brand of Christians that think, well, to be a living killing, you know, we kind of got to be like those, you know, um, that kind of version of uh, Filipino Christianity, you know, where you're seeing them, they're whipping themselves down the road at Easter time all the time. You've seen that version on the television. I think there are a lot of Christians that kind of feel that they've got to live life that way, that, okay, to be a living sacrifice is I've just got to, I've got to beat myself down every single day. And if I'm not beating myself up for Jesus, then I'm not being a Jesus follower at all. And I want to say to you this morning that being a living killing doesn't, doesn't need to be sorrowful. It can be adventurous. And I want to give you a life-changing question that I use, particularly when I'm getting a bit down on myself, to show you how being a living can be adventurous. And this is what I did this morning. It's what I do most mornings. I ask a simple, powerful question, an adventurous question, a life-changing question. You ready for it? I ask this. I say, Lord, what are you up to today? And how can I be a part of it? Lord, what are you up to today? And how can I be a part of it? Anyone ask themselves that question this morning? I'll give you a scratch and sniff or a gold star, one or the other. Yeah, that's a sticker, by the way. That sounds really inappropriate. Um, Right? In fact, too, if you get a gold star, too, if you realize it's actually not one question, it's two. Um, It's two questions. What are you up to today and how can I be a part of it? That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. It means to give over of your conscience into the already working activity of God ahead of you. It's an incredible way to wake up and it's an incredibly adventurous way to wake up. It's just to say, Lord, what are you up to today and how can I be a part of it? And in so doing, then what happens is your conscience will light up. You will go to the bus. You'll go to the train station. You'll go to the office. You'll go to your friend's lunch. 
You will go to the social outing with your conscience already lit up and ready to go to say, "Uh uh-oh, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't do, I shouldn't comment. I can feel the gap opening up. It sensitizes your conscience to be aware of yourself when you move into that moment. When you surrender yourself in that way, then you realize that you are part of something a lot bigger than yourself. And so, of course, the biggest question in all of this as we finish this morning is people would say, well, hang on, well, what if God asked me to do something that I don't want to do? (laughs) You know, I I ask the questions, Lord, what are you up to do today and how can I be a part of it? And what if He asked me to do something that I don't want to do? I kind of see it like this. It's like, imagine that, imagine that you, you, you love soccer. It's the Matildas at the moment. That's kind of all the rage at the moment with the World Cup. And so you love soccer. And so you want to, you, you see the coach of the Matildas. Anyone know his name? No. Gus, isn't it? Gus. You see Gus. Let's just say it is Gus. It's Gus Arnold. Is that it? Oh, I'm just going to say Gus. I'm going to say Gus. It's, an, it's a preaching illustration. Come on. <laughs> Right, you go to Gus, Gus, like you're, you're the Matildas coach. I love soccer, it's amazing. And I, you know, I thank you so much for giving me this appointment. It's incredible. I've seen what you've done with the girls. I mean, you take people who are just slow blobs on the field and you turn them into just the most amazing pieces of athleticism. It's incredible. And, and I know it's been so lucky to get this appointment. And I know you probably won't take me, but if you do, I just I would love you to be my coach and you can make me into that sort of person if you just do that. And if you, it, if you would, look, it's just on one condition, Gus. <clears throat> I want you to be my coach, but please do not ask me to do anything that I don't want to do. <laughs> and isn't that how we can approach God? Oh, Jesus, I love you. Like, you, you're, you're amazing and it's incredible. And I've been to church and I've seen the way that you've changed that person's life and that person's life. You've taken people who are kind of like spiritual blobs and they're doing amazing things for you and, and they're just incredible. And, and I just, I want to be a part of that and it seems so exciting and I just want to do that. But, you know, please, whatever you do, please just, on one condition, please don't ask me to be a living sacrifice. What's Gustin going to say? What's Jesus going to say? Of course, Gus is going to say, of course, I'm going to tell you to do what you don't want to do. Of course, I'm going to make you do the push-up when you don't feel like it. Of course, I'm going to make you run around the oval one more time when you don't want to do that. Of course, I'm a coach. That's what I do. Jesus Christ said, if you are my disciples, you will obey my truth and the truth will set you free. And I think within the context of that, Jesus meant not free from all of everyone else's restrictions on your life, free from yourself and free from self-interest. And Jesus says, of course, I'm going to ask you to do what you don't want to do. But we all know, and you know this, that that in order to become a person of greatness in any field is difficult and it's disciplined and it takes sacrifice, living sacrifice. And so it's just the reasonable thing for all of us to do. The coach asked you to come in this morning, and I know I'm reminding many of you this morning, we know this verse, we've heard this verse. Um, but there are moments in which I tend to just wander off the field. And that's why we're talking about it. And the way that I know that I've wandered off the field is when I realize that there's a gap between me and the me that I want people to see. And I know that I've wandered off the field and I'm not under the tutelage of the coach when I spend more time focused on this version of me rather than that version of me. And so this morning, I just want you to safeguard your soul by closing the gap. And because really too, can you imagine that the sort of place that this community would be is if, it, if when you walked up into this 
foyer and you go and have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee with someone, they gave you what so much of the North Shore is craving for in this culture. I know you're craving for it because you're tired of all the political games and all the smoke and mirrors in social stuff at work and all the rest of it. You know what people are hungry for in this place? Not lights and smoke machines and really awesome sound. They're after WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And I can promise you, if you're a guest with us, we're going to try our best to be that sort of place. And so it, it will mean that it'll be the sort of place where, you know, ironically, the preacher himself might share from time to time where he's got to work on a few things. But certainly you get down into our groups. If you've seen anything by the bunch of people that I've been hanging out with for the last six months, there's a beautiful dynamic of WYSIWYG that's showing up in this place. And when we become the sort of people who close the gap between me and the me that I want you to see, and we live wissy-wig, well, we kind of become just that little bit more freer. Because wouldn't you agree, this type of me over here is exhausting. And some of you are exhausted from that performance this morning. And some of you are just over having to pretend. And Jesus invites you this morning to stop that and to close the gap. And it'd be the sort of person where what you see is what you get. And the way you do it, surrender your will. Let's pray. Father, help us with this. Help us move into that space this morning, Lord, where maybe we each can ask you that question of our own lives and our own souls. Maybe some of us have landed in this place for the first time Maybe there are some of us that are watching online for the first time because they're over church and they thought they would just give this one more shot. They've stumbled across us on the internet. Maybe they're watching this throughout the week. Maybe there are some of us here who are just exhausted from pretending. Maybe some of us are craving places and spaces where we can be known, really known. Not for who we present, but for who we truly are. I thank you for the gift this morning, Father God, that as difficult as it is to live that out on this side of heaven, there is a safety in you that you look at us. All of our junk, all of the things we're not happy about, all the things we're ashamed about. And you love us in spite of that. I pray over this community that we would be the sort of place that would continue to embody and defend WYSIWYG, that there would be an authenticity and a transparency about our lives that is just beautiful and countercultural. And so I ask you this morning, church, to ask God that question of your life. Lord, what are you up to today in my life? And how can I be a part of it? Who are you going to bring in my path? Who am I going to speak to? Who do you want me to offer a word of encouragement to? Who do you want me to care for? Who do you want me to phone? Who do you want me to pray with? Who do you want me to listen to? Who do you want me to give money to and to help? How do you want to burden me with someone's challenges for their sake and mine? I pray for each of us, Lord, that there would be courageous hearts in this room this morning. That from what we've heard, would trust in the fact that uh, as inconvenient, 
dare I say, painful at the times to live this living sacrifice is, well, it's from you, coach. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.